the idea that has been floated out there by Republicans that we that Democrats just did this all by themselves and never discussed things with Republicans, never tried to come to a bipartisan deal is fake news. And we got to get the history right. I'm Dan Diamond. This is Pulse Check, and that was Zeke Emanuel, the energetic Democratic healthcare wonk, attacking a common Republican talking point about the Affordable Care Act ahead of Republicans' own big vote. We caught Zeke in transit on Wednesday, a few days after his high-profile visit to the White House with President Trump. And as you'll hear, he couldn't get into specifics. I tried. But he does offer insights on healthcare reform in his own patented straight-talk way. And forgive me, when you listen, I feel like my energy flagged a little bit in this conversation. It's been a long few days for everybody, and it's not over. We're running up to the hill after this and trying to catch Republicans who are voting for this bill. So keep your ears peeled for that on the Pulse Check feed. A reminder, you can find Pulse Check on your favorite podcast app. Please rate us, recommend us, review us. This is the time to be listening to healthcare podcasts, I think. And if you know someone who would benefit from Pulse Check, please pass us along. You can always pass ideas to me at ddiamond at politico.com. It might not be a week where I'll write back right away, but I will see your email. And now let's get to Zeke Emanuel. Flashback to Monday. You're in the White House meeting with Trump, Vice President Pence, Paul Ryan, Tom Price, is it a respectful conversation about health care? Are, are you an equal partner in that discussion? Um, first of all, for the details, you know, it's the White House is to release. All I can say is we had a uh, we didn't agree on lots of things, um, but we uh, were, uh, you know, we were very respectful. But I was uh, the lone, uh, as it were, Democrat, liberal uh, person um, who thinks that the ACA is working reasonably well in the room. So I, I know you can't speak to details, but I'm, I'm curious, was it folks are going around the table offering ideas and you're offering just as many ideas as everyone else? Are you pushing back on what the Republicans are putting out? It was not. Let's talk about ideas. They're, they're, um, let us just say you know that they're voting tomorrow uh, or they hope to vote tomorrow if they have the votes. Um, and uh, so it was not, um, let's think about what the best approach is. Donald Trump isn't known as, as a policy wonk. That might even be the charitable way to put it. Does Trump understand what's in his own health care plan? I'm not going to discuss that. Okay. So I guess if I wanted to ask if he could describe the changes to Medicaid, that's not something you could get into. Let me, let me flip this around. You've, you've met with Trump three times in person now since the election. Some Democrats have said that you're, you're doing a great service to push on health care, to give him an alternate perspective on why the ACA needs to be kept. And then others have said that you are potentially a liberal patsy, that you're just convenient for Trump who can say, look, I met with my opponents. Do you understand that criticism? Uh, let's be clear. Um, I have... Uh I have very, very clear views about the right way to go forward on health care. Uh, I've thought a lot about it. Um, uh, I have been also, I think everyone in, certainly in the health policy field and health, who's followed health care, 
uh, and, and the larger public know that I speak my mind. I'm an Emmanuel. There's not a lot of filter between the brain and the mouth. Um, I am not. Uh, I have not, you know, tailored my comments in the public. I was pretty vocal and very, very forceful, I think, in the New York Times uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was criticizing the Medicaid part of the reform plan. Uh, I was pretty vocal on Sunday Fox with Chris Wallace. I was pretty vocal yesterday on Fox and Friends about the problems with the uh, approach. Um, uh, I am not, you know, and I, uh, this I can say, I have said, I'm not going to be a fig leaf for them. Um, and I am not simply because I got invited to the White House, never going to say what I think. Uh, so I think the, somehow the criticism that I'm, you know, their fig leaf and they can say they talk to the Democrats, I made quite clear, and I continue to make quite clear in public, uh, that this is not a bipartisan bill. They have never talked to a single Democrat, uh, as best as anyone can tell. They did not do what um, Senator Baucus did when we tried to pass the ACA, get the Republicans on board, have a gang of six, a gang of four, various different combinations to see if there was bipartisan overlap. I have also frequently said, I do think there's Lots of bipartisan overlap. You take liberal health policy people like myself. Uh, you take conservative health policy people, whether it's Mark McClellan or Gail Walensky or Stu Butler, um, you know. And we actually, you know, Jim Capretta, uh, the AEI crowd, uh, Joe Antos, you know, we agree on 60, 70, 80 percent, depending on the particular person, of what needs to happen to go forward. Um, so I don't think it's, uh, you know... I think there is a middle here, which the American public really wants, um, and, you know, I make, I've made that clear every place I can, because I think that's the place we have to go. And I think th this bill, and I've also made clear, this bill isn't that middle. How worried are you about this bill? Any rational person has to be extremely worried about this bill. This bill is going to, you know, say the CBO is off. Right? Every model predicting the future is a difficult thing. We know that. There are very few people who get it uh, precisely right. But say the bill is not exactly off, it's high. We know that between now and 2020, rates are going to increase a lot. I mean, the CEO of Molina, um, uh, Mario which, is a Molina big, yes. yeah, which is a big health system, uh, uh, health uh, payer uh, uh, in the exchange, uh, said he, his rates would have to go up 30%. We also know that, again, say the CBO is wrong, say it's not 24 million people who lose coverage by uh, 20, 26, say it's 20 million or 18 million. 18 more million people on top of the 18 million people who already don't have, American citizens who don't have health insurance, you know, that is unacceptable, you know. And the idea that Republicans put forward, oh, we're going to guarantee people access, well, that's, that's a, you know, that's simply... I, a, a charade, you know, telling you people you can right buy now. insurance, but you don't. Ha we're not giving you enough subsidies. We're not get making the insurance arrangements easy enough to navigate. Uh, we're taking away Medicaid. That is not access. That is that is saying something to confuse people out there and to allow yourself to go to sleep when one in five Americans are not going to have insurance by 2026. That is not an acceptable place, as far as I'm concerned. And you could argue that right now we all do have access to health care. <laughs> the issue is can people pay for it? The yes. Look, 
I mean, why do we have subsidies? Why are they talking about tax credits um, or, you know, whatever you want to call them? Why does the government have to give people, uh, a large swath of people in this country, uh, health? Because health care is so expensive, no, you know, unless you're literally in the 1%, you cannot get health care insurance all on your own. I mean, health in, you know, it, we're spending $10,000 on average per American for health care in this country today. $10,000. The average family employer-sponsored insurance plan is $18,000. Okay? The median income in America is only $56,000. Uh, you can't, the average American cannot afford health care without help. They either get help via the employer who takes it out of their paycheck, basically, or they get help because the government is assisting them by uh, putting them on Medicaid or giving them a subsidy or a tax credit to buy health care. And the idea that we're going to shrink this and you're going to give someone $4,000 uh, at 60, at, uh, 60 uh, where the health, you know, the cost of the health insurance is, you know, over $10,000, that's, that's a, a, you know, that's not realistic. It sounds like you know that the odds aren't great for a bipartisan deal, at, to, be, to be frank, but you want to keep that door open. That's why you've been talking to Trump. If that door slams shut, wait, 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 Democrats... wait, wait. So let, let me put it to you this way. What it de- you know, a lot depends upon how you characterize the moment and what the alternatives are. If you characterize the alternatives as the ACA continues as it is now, uh, we do the Rand Paul alternative, uh, which is basically repeal in and do nothing, uh, or Ryan's proposal. Those are the three alternatives, right? That. I want to say that's not the universe of alternatives. There are many more alternatives out there, including some really realistic, good, bipartisan alternatives. Okay? There, it, we should not constrain our vision to it's the Ryan plan or existing ACA or uh, Paul, uh, uh, Rand Paul. That is not the universe. And I think that, unfortunately, has been where uh, uh, everything's been characterized. And I want people to say, look, it's not hard to imagine. It's very easy to imagine a bipartisan, uh, the beginnings of a bipartisan approach. Well, I, I take your point that that's intellectually possible and that there are lots of ideas where the, the wonks agree. But realistically, there's a very good chance that the House will pass this bill that you've said isn't as much of a compromise between the sides as, as is possible. So if this bill moves forward, what can Democrats do to either rebuild on the gains of the ACA or to come out with a, a countermeasure in the next number of years, knowing that they have the minority in Congress? Well, I, you know, I, I'm not the political brother, um, but I can tell you <laughs> that uh, a lot of uh, political experts think this bill passes um, the House and Senate and gets signed by the president. Uh, 2018 is the Democrats' year. It'll be a disaster for the Republicans. The Democrats would love to run on, uh, you know, throwing millions of people off coverage and uh, rate hikes and spikes uh, on a bill that was not bipartisan and was ran- literally rammed through. Um, so, you know, I, <laughs> I think then you would get a backlash such that we would have to have a, um, a re- uh, change or repeal of Mr. Speaker Ryan's uh, uh, bill. So, you know, Democrats aren't in minority forever, um, and politics uh, is, uh, is, you know, volatile, and mistakes by uh, parties lead to 
political consequences. My father, uh, who is uh, uh, we're having his 90th birthday this coming weekend, you know, has a phrase which he indelibly uh, imprinted on his kids, which is one reason I think we're all such optimists about things. Is he says the ball is round. You know, the game's unpredictable. You know, it's possible for uh, the underdog to win. That's what makes March Madness an amazing time of the year for uh, basketball fans. Um, similarly, uh, you know, the ball is round in politics. And, uh, you know, the Republicans pass this. Uh, it's going to be an amazing albatross around their neck. So you're, you're looking ahead to 2018 and thinking that that's... Well, I'm, no, I'm looking, I'm looking ahead to tomorrow. I don't think it's going to pass. I think it's such an appalling bill. And if moderate Republicans uh, who are in districts that Hillary won or just moderate Republicans, uh, maybe they didn't get the message from the town halls that happened earlier this month. Maybe they didn't get the message from the CBO report. Well, if they can't get that message, they will lose. You've, you've alluded to your, your famous brothers, Ari, the agent, Rom, the, the mayor of Chicago. I'm just curious, do you and your brothers have a pool on the outcome of the vote tomorrow? Have you talked to them about I, it? I can't comment on that. That would be, you know, unethical. Let me ask a question that hopefully you, you can comment on. Who's a better, who's a better deal maker in the family, Ari or Ram? <laughs> Maybe it's me. Come on, you, you left me out of that <laughs> equation. I'm, I'm feeling slighted here. Come on. Each of them is a phenomenally good deal maker in their area of expertise. And all I can say is I don't want to be on the other side of the negotiating table with either of them where they play at home. They are, uh, you know, their achievements speak miles for their ability to make deals in, uh, in their areas of expertise. At, at some point, I'm Fortunately, going to my area of expertise is not so high stakes academics, as you all know, as Henry Kissinger made us all know, is like, you know, low stakes. So, Well, low, low stakes at times and then incredibly high stakes at others when, say, plans are being designed in the White House. And, and at, at some point, I am going to, to trap you into a conversation about how brothers can be, can be so successful. I've been meaning to write that story for years about these families with the three successful brothers. But since our yeah. time is limited, let, let, let me ask you this. Imagine it's 2009, and you're back in the White House with Obama, Biden, Pelosi. Democrats are about to pass the ACA. Jim Capretta or, or Joe Antos comes in and says, you're doing this wrong, and it's going to hurt Americans. How much would you have listened to them? Wait, Dan, I don't understand this question. We discussed <laughs> this bill. No, because it assumes a history that's false. We discussed this bill. Senator Baucus had meetings with Grassley and lots of other senators, Barrasso and other people, about what would the Republicans want. And I know that my boss, Peter Orzag, the director of OMB, went up to the Hill repeatedly to, to get from Olympia Snow, Republican senator of Maine, her list of things she wanted in the bill so she could vote for the bill. And it was partially my responsibility to make sure those things were in the bill. He would come back with a list of, you know, here are the ten things, you know, eight of them we had already taken care of, and, you know, I had to run around and make sure the others were done in a way that was acceptable uh, to her. We did sit down with the other side and try to come to an agreement. The idea that has been floated out there by Republicans that, we, that Democrats just did this all by themselves and never d discussed things with Republicans, never tried to come to a bipartisan deal, is fake news. And we've got to get the history right. History matters. 
We tried to negotiate and get a bipartisan bill. The president, you know, made that a very high priority. So the notion that Jim Capretta would come in late, we made changes to this bill to reflect their wishes, that they didn't come and, and uh, negotiate in good faith or that they didn't come and in the end support, uh, uh, try to get a compromise, is not because we didn't try. So this notion that, and by the way, it took us all the way, right, it took us 15 months to get the bill passed. Oh, I remember. Right? I we remember. are now, right, exactly. All of us lost a lot of hair and weight and uh, years of or, our life. Or gained weight. We, gained weight, we yeah. are not, we are not, you know, we're barely 60 days into this presidency, okay? They have never even raised the issue of talking with the Democrats. To the extent that, uh, and I'm not an elected official, you know, I don't think Ryan has sat down with any Democrat uh, to talk about uh, how this bill might be adapted or revised. That is not the idea that, you know, well, we can't, we can't uh, reason with the, with, the, uh, with the caucus, you know, um, with, the, with the Freedom Caucus, uh, so we'll try to get a bipartisan bill. That, not, not happening here. So very different approaches. And the Republicans screaming, oh, the Democrats did it all by Democratic votes. Uh, that's not because we didn't try. It's because they, Republicans, did not Agree. Although I will say, again, history is often uh, forgotten. You know, Olympia Snow voted for this in the Finance Committee. So, um, you know, uh, the fact is she did vote for it, and then the Republicans came down on her like a ton of bricks and uh, forced her to change her vote. And she it, caved. It, it has been 16 days, 16 days since the House released its, its bill text. They're voting on it tomorrow. Back in 2009, there were 116 days between when the House uh, yeah. posted its yeah. bill and, and the vote. So the arguments against the ACA are just as valid against uh, the Republican bill. If no, it's not just as point. valid. M- excuse me, more valid, right? The difference between 16 days and 116 days last I looked is sixfold, okay? It's more valid today against the Republican bill. Much oh, more for sure. valid. for sure. I completely agree with that. Hey, it's Dan Diamond, and I want to drop into this conversation with a quick plug for our friends at Off Message, Politico's interview podcast with the top leaders and thinkers in politics, hosted by Isaac Dover. This week, Isaac had a great conversation, I was a little jealous, with Representative Dave Bratt, who famously unseated Eric Cantor a few years ago, and now says, as of Wednesday, he's not voting for Republicans' health care bill. You can find Off Message on your favorite podcast app. My favorite app is Overcast. And listen for Isaac's other interviews with the leaders and thinkers shaping American politics. And with that, let's get back to Zeke Emanuel. Let me, let me close our conversation on, on this because you're in a reflective mood. Looking back at the ACA, what were the things that, in retrospect, could have been different or better knowing what we know now not just about working across the aisle, but the way that the, the bill was designed and its impact on the healthcare system. Oh, I, I mean, you know, I, as I said, the moment we passed the bill, this is a good but not great bill. You're never going to get great uh, just because of compromises you have to do. So we could have changed the subsidy schedule uh, to keep deductibles down. We, you know, we didn't, we had $100 billion that we put to deficit reduction. We could have used that for better um, better subsidies uh, for people. There's a lot of churn between the, um, 
Medicaid and the exchanges, that's very expensive. It's also not good for continuity of care. We could have uh, uh, done something about that kind of churn. That's people whose income one year is too high for Medicaid, next year they're on Medicaid, uh, the year after they're back into the exchange. That is not a good system for anybody. Um, we could have had more cost control out of the box. Um, I think we have had a big impact on health care costs, the ACA did. Um, I think we could have had more. Um, fortunately, in the last uh, two or three years of the Obama administration, when Sylvia Burwell was secretary and Andy Slavitt was head of uh, CMS and Patrick Conway was head of CMMI, lots of emphasis on getting health care cost control. Um, I was one of those people in the White House from early on saying we need more of that in the bill, um, as I record in my book. I was pushing on various things like having more bundle payment and stuff. We could have had more of that in directly in the bill. Um, I could go on and on. I, you know, lots of suggestions about things, uh, but you know, it's it's hard. You're negotiating with uh, hundreds of Democratic congressmen, negotiating with you know 60 Democratic senators. Um, it's it's uh, it's a conference, and then you're negotiating within yourself. It's not as if you know. Not everyone in the White House agreed on everything. And I was wrong on, on many things, too, you know, that I thought would, would either work and weren't there or I thought wouldn't work and had turned out to work very well. Last, last real question. You've done a lot of memorable things in your career. You worked on the ACA. You, you famously wrote in The Atlantic that you wanted to die at 75. You're a bioethics professor at Penn. You've done all these different things. Where in your legacy will these summits with Trump sit? <laughs> You know, I'm not dead yet, and so legacies are established at the end. Uh, if they uh, fail tomorrow, um, you know, uh, maybe it'll have sowed enough doubt. Uh, people will have viewed this. Uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I have no idea. Um, you know, what drives me is not what is, you know, how, how are these meetings going to affect my legacy? What's gonna, what drives me is have I left the United States uh, better off for having passed through the world and worked the way I've worked. Um, I, I hope the answer to that question is yes. And I hope that along the way, well, I can definitely guarantee this, along the way I've had a, enjoyed it, I've had a very, uh, I've had the luxury of having, you know, the great life that America makes possible for um, immigrants. You know, I remind people, my father was born overseas. I was born overseas. Um, we we have, you know, been the, among the very very uh, fortunate people, uh, where you know, I, my father came to America with less than uh, fifty dollars of total value in his pocket, and um, his kids have, you know, succeeded beyond belief, and his grandchildren have, you know, succeeded amazingly well. Um, and I just hope that the country's better for our having been here and uh, my having been here and that, you know, the health care system has improved and people have gotten health care that might not have otherwise, that, you know, we've been able at least to some degree to control costs and improve the quality because of my work, you know, but that we won't know until I'm dead and gone. So, but that's what, that's what my North, my North Star, that's the way that keeps me motivated and keeps me, you know, working every day. Can we make the healthcare system better for everyone in America? So, well, 
congratulations to your father on, on his 90th birthday. Go celebrate Thank with him. You. Thank you for taking time to talk with us about where healthcare is headed. Great. Take care. That's it for this episode of Pulse Check, though it's probably not it for Pulse Check today. Keep your ears peeled for bonus episodes. In the meantime, thank you to Zeke Emanuel for making time. Thanks to Bridget, all-star producer Mulcahy, for running around D.C. with me today. You can find Pulse Check at your favorite podcast app. You can find me at ddiamondapolitico.com. And we'll be back with a new episode of Pulse Check very, very soon. <laughs>